Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines and financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury. I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. So welcome back, everyone, to our latest episode of FX Talk, recorded on Thursday, the 16th of September. Uh, it's been a few weeks since our last episode. We've taken a little bit of a break over the typically quiet August trading period, where investors and currency traders tend to spend some time away from their desks. And volatility in the FX market is therefore generally relatively low. Uh, that's indeed been the case in much of the past sort of two or three weeks or so, particularly as far as the major currencies are concerned. Uh, most of the main currency pairs have traded within relatively narrow ranges. Uh, euro dollar has for the most part traded around about the 118 level with the euro largely taking the latest European Central Bank announcement in stride. Uh, the ECB announced uh, that it would be slowing the pace of monthly purchases under its PEPP program, although it stressed that this was merely a recalibration rather uh, than the start of tapering. Indeed, there's not really been any real catalyst uh, or any real trend, I should say, in risk sentiment. Investors appear slightly torn between renewed optimism surrounding the pandemic and concerns surrounding the recent stagflation narrative, whereby many economic areas are seeing rising consumer prices coupled with slower growth. Uh, no more so has that been evident than in the US, uh, which is likely to provide a bit of a headache for the Federal Reserve when it meets for its highly anticipated meeting next week. Following the recent sharp increase in US inflation and a robust labor market performance, investors have braced for announcement that the Fed will soon begin tapering its large-scale quantitative easing program at some point before the end of the year. But uh, both the August payrolls and inflation reports fell short of expectations, and that has put a September taper announcement in real doubt. Uh, so what do you guys think? Do you think we'll get a taper announcement from the Fed next week? And, and what else will you be looking out for during the meeting? Um, well, first of all, the general comment is, is uh, interesting how the tone of the financial press has changed pretty significantly in the last six weeks or so. Where now uh, you open Bloomberg, you upper Financial Times, and most articles are very likely to mention uh, inflationary pressures. Uh, and some of them are actually using the, the word that you use, stagflation, which is something that we haven't seen for, for, for quite some time. And the, like you said, the last reports going into this Federal Reserve meeting support that that uh, that concern. I mean, the job market seems to be slowing down. Uh, let, let's not get carried away. It's still pretty healthy job creation, but uh, the gap between where we are now in terms of jobs and where we were before the pandemic is closing down slower than I think most of us expected. And the inflation number, uh, it. It's the inflation never seemed to have peaked, but they have peaked at a very high level, over five percent in the headline, over four percent in core, and there's some worrisome signs that the inflation is spreading from uh, uh, goods, the, the, the goods, um, which can be reasonably blamed on, on a one-off shortages from the pandemic, is starting to bleed into a more uh, steady. Uh, uh, parts of the index like uh, owner's equivalent rents and, and housing and services in general. I still think that there's not enough to sway the Federal Reserve into starting into surprising markets and starting the taper in September. 
Uh, I think that where we might see a surprise is in that we'll, for the first time since the pandemic, we'll start to see some spirited debate and some factions um, forming. Um, I think that uh, there will be some breaking unanimity. Uh, quite a few of the regional bank governors have expressed their concern about inflation and their, their desire to start uh, withdrawing monetary stimulus earlier uh, than markets are pricing in. But overall, I think that the, that Powell is still very much on the Dover side, Chairman Powell. I think that the, uh, the politics of tightening either fiscal or monetary policy in the U.S. are going to be very, very difficult. And that's why I don't think it's going to happen yet. The, the, the taper is not going to happen next week. We'll have to wait for November. Uh, but uh, uh, it will be a close call. Yeah, so generally I agree that we are unlikely to see the taper being announced during uh, the next week's meeting. I think that the central banks generally have a rather are in a tough spot right now, particularly considering those uh, increases in prices uh, that have happened not only in the U.S., but in most of the world right now, uh, coupled with a uh, slowdown in growth. This is actually a particularly U.S. thing because in Europe we are seeing that the growth is, continues to be rather strong, but we are seeing the slowdown in the U.S. Uh, to some extent, we are seeing also the slowdown in China. Uh, so uh, we have already seen that some central banks have been rather cautious. They have moved in the direction of policy normalization, but they, they have been cautious. The good examples here are the Bank of Australia and the European Central Bank. Uh, they both uh, decided to uh, cut purchases although the ECB was quite uh, dovish in that as they emphasized that this is not uh, tapering. While in Australia, they uh, decided to uh, cut uh, weekly purchases. Uh, as expected, at the same time, they have basically prolonged the period during which we are going to see asset purchases at uh, this set level, uh, which was seen by the market as a dovish taper. So in the US, I would think the decision to taper would not come right now, but instead November is the most likely time to announce that and that it would start before uh, the end of the year and probably end before the end of next year. In the context of uh, this meeting, uh, I think the market would focus on not only on the taper, but also on the revisions to the uh, projections. Uh, and uh, as we always have quarterly revisions in September, uh, looking at the macroeconomic projections, I think that we might see some upward revisions uh, to inflation forecasts. At the same time, we could see a downward revision to this year's GDP forecast, particularly as the previous one was revised up to 7% at year end. Um, this could come down somewhat, considering that the recent data has been relatively underwhelming. Also, I think that the rhetorics regarding the taper will be viewed in the context of how strong does the Fed view the recovery to be and how strong the inflationary pressures really are. So the reaction of the market to that might not be as obvious. I think, I think that's a, a very good point. I think that uh, if there is a hawkish faction developing, we will see that very clearly reflected in the, in the dot plot. We'll start to see maybe the median dot plot for where they expect rates to be at each one of the next three years doesn't change much, but we start to see like a tail developing of uh, members of the FOMC who are starting to get seriously concerned about inflation. I think that rates need to go up higher and faster than people expect. That's yes, I agree. I, mean, I, I think the dot will be, be quite a big divergence between the hawks and the doves, more so than what we've seen 
um, in the last two or three darts anyway. Um, yeah, I think I, if, if, I think I was a, if it was a betting man, I would probably bet that the Fed will likely err on the side of caution uh, at next week's meeting. Um, I see enough headwinds for the Fed to probably justify waiting um, another few more months before committing to reducing the pace of asset purchases and, and to not rush into normalizing policy. Um, the spread of the Delta variant probably be a little bit of a concern for policymakers. Um, caseloads have risen rather sharply again in the US in the last few weeks. Um, and while the vaccine program is preventing a more sort of sharp increase in deaths, uh, there do remain a number of states where vaccine hesitancy is very high. Um, uh, as we said, we've already seen that reflected in the latest data. The August payrolls report uh, was, of course, a big disappointment. Um, the the 235,000 net jobs that created was well below even the most pessimistic of forecasts. Um, with employers clearly struggling to, to fill job vacancies, I think there's, there's still some way to go as well before all those jobs that have been lost during the pandemic period uh, are recovered. Um, yeah, but as you guys have both said, I think the key determinant as to when the Fed both winds down its QE program and raises interest rates will be uh, the US inflation prints. I think committee members may, may have been slightly relieved, actually, with a, with a slightly softer than expected August inflation print, which should perhaps lessen pressure on them to act this month. Um, although inflation in the last few months has been more persistently higher or persistently higher than that. The, Policymakers had expected uh, three or four months ago. So, so that would suggest to me um, that a taper announcement before the end of the year is almost a certainty. I, I agree with you guys. I think November probably looks like the more likely scenario uh, in this instance. Um, and then we'll look at the dot plots and see, uh, get a gauge as to how policymakers um, see the timing for the next interest rate hike. I, I think we may perhaps see uh, a, a shift higher in the median dot which could bring hikes into play uh, perhaps in late 2022, which would put it more in line with market pricing. Okay, I think we'll move on to our second uh, main topic now, which will focus on this month's German elections. Germany will head to the polls on Sunday, the 26th of September. Uh, We're set to see a a fairly significant political shift because after 16 years in office, uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel will be stepping down as Germany's leader. As things stand, Germany, uh, Merkel's CDU party is now trailing in the opinion polls. Uh, support for the Social Democratic Party of Germany has increased pretty sharply since the start of August, with the party now polling around 25% versus the CDU's 21% in the latest poll polls. Uh, Germany's political landscape has actually become increasingly fragmented in recent years, a trend that, of course, we've seen across uh, much of Europe. Uh, in recent times, uh, ensuring that the outcome of the election um, has become a highly uncertain one. Uh, so over to you both, what can we expect from next Sunday's election? And do you think we're likely to see any sort of impact uh, in the markets? Um, the vote? This is a very difficult one um, because it's not. we won't necessarily know what the government of Germany will look like uh, on the night of the election, given the, the nature the, that uh, no single party or even no two parties um, are likely to, to put together a majority. So we're going to have protracted negotiations after the vote. Um, and even if we were able to predict which government uh, will be formed, the impact on the euro uh, would be hard to predict. 
the most I would venture is that perhaps a um, uh, the left party, which has never been in government up to now, but might be called to support a social democrat green coalition. Uh, if if we had a government that's good to the left, that could be a marginal negative for the euro because it would signal that uh, uh, any pressure on the Bundesbank, uh, on the on the European Central Bank to to start withdrawing monetary uh, accommodation would be even more muted than we now think. But even that is a bit of a stretch, and, and I'm going to pass on to Roman. Uh, because I think he has a different view there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's quite unclear what's going to happen, and it's quite unclear what's going to happen to Euro. Most likely nothing. (laughs) If if, uh, Nothing on the night of the election. Yeah. yeah. The headlines about the negotiations might be more important. Yeah, it's it's a very peculiar election as we are likely going to see a government of three parties. Uh, there are actually uh, three uh, likely uh, combinations that have the highest probability of taking place. Although we could also see two parties in government, uh, but uh, yeah, we, we don't know at this point. And this will be particularly hard and potentially prolonged process because uh, those three parties would need to agree on a set of things that are important for them and for German voters. Uh, uh, things such as climate change, uh, situation with regards to European integration, broad international relations with countries such as uh, Russia, China, uh, the taxation policy and spending policy, things like that. So those negotiations may well last a few months and we might not see the government this year. could be pushed uh, to the next year. When it comes to the reaction of the euro, I think the biggest chance for volatility would be if we are going to see, as Enrique mentioned, left parties performing particularly well and having a good chance of creating a coalition. However, I'm not so sure that this would be a negative for the euro, as it would most likely lead to a looser fiscal policy in Germany. And this is something that could actually be supportive of uh, the growth in Germany and supportive of uh, growth in the broad EU, as as Germany was typically the country that has enforced uh, or have campaigned for a a rather tighter and, uh, uh, let's say, responsible fiscal policy uh, among the member states. So I think that this uh, really is the biggest chance that has been in years to change this paradigm. And I think that this change could potentially be positive for growth. So, and uh, we had kind of a similar situation with the election in the US when uh, the Trump was uh, first running, where everybody was so negative on Trump, and this was seen as a risky scenario. And in fact, we were also negative. However, uh, on the night of the election, initial reaction was uh, negative, but then the market started focusing on this potential for uh, fiscal policy easing. This here might be more complicated as we have three parties as we have a set of different issues and as we are likely going to see if we if the left coalition wins uh, we will also likely see higher taxes uh, for uh, for potentially businesses uh, and uh, the the wealthy so it's not so easy to predict it's not so uh, clear cut and uh, the likelihood of the left coalition is also i think at around 20% or something so, uh, but this would be the most volatile scenario. Another thing that I would focus on in the context of the election is uh, how uh, well will the alternative for Deutschland, uh, alternative for Germany do? 
uh, as they are the uh, most uh, radical uh, right-wing party. And uh, they are polling it right now at around 10%. But if we are seeing that uh, they are going to receive a, a significantly uh, bigger share of votes, then this could induce some fears in the markets, particularly ahead of the elections in France, uh, which will take place uh, in April next year, where we are going to see a, a populist Marine Le Pen uh, clashing with the current president, Emmanuel Macron. So I think that uh, this is also something that possibly is not talked about right now in the market, but I would also keep an eye on how well the uh, AFD is doing. That's, that's a fair point. The two things. The first, a uh, uh, fair point on the fiscal policy. My guess, those looking at the recent news flows and reaction to the different currencies, is that uh, since the pandemic, there's been like this complete removal of any any constraints on deficit spending. So the prospect for additional looser fiscal policy from uh, a left coalition in Germany might not have the same impact that it would have two or three years ago. And people may pay more attention to the to the prospects of uh, of a looser uh, European Central Bank at the margins, which would be negative for the euro. And the very good, I think that that's that's a good point you bring up that that perhaps the biggest impact on the euro will will have to do with how the alternative for Deutschland does, uh, in the sense that it, both both ways uh, a surprise to the downside where they fail to break single digits, and it's clear that they have peaked. Um, the support in in Germany who could be seen as a, as a big positive for the for the eurozone and for the euro. Yes, certainly plenty of uncertainties going into the vote, and as is always the case, the currency markets um, tend to react very negatively uh, to uncertainty. So it'll be very interesting to see how this one unfolds. I think as though it, it sounds as though we're all sort of of the view that the, the Fed meeting will probably of the two events that we're talking about today take on slightly more importance than, than the German elections, certainly as far as the Reaction in the FX market is concerned. Um, I, would, I would actually, as we, we said, I would expect volatility market certainly in the immediate aftermath of the election to be relatively limited. I think that tends to be the case uh, with these European elections. Uh, it's of course very different from other elections elsewhere, say in the UK or US, for instance, because the Eurozone is, of course, made up of 19 different member states and all of which have their own independent elections. So any policy changes that do come about as a result of, of one of these European elections, by nature, uh, does have a, a more limited impact on the overall euro area economy, even in a country um, such as Germany, of course, the largest uh, in the bloc. Um, I, I do think, though, perhaps um, a, 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 an event risk or a risk for the for the euro could be um, a delayed and perhaps protracted um, election process, whereby it takes a, a while for a government to be formed. I think that's certainly on the cards. And as I said, markets tend to react negatively to, to uncertainty. So the longer that process drags on, I think the, the greater the impact um, could be on the euro in the sort of more medium term. But, but overall, I think the immediate reaction, I, I would say, would probably be slightly more limited. The focus, I think, next week will be more so um, on the Federal Reserve meeting. We're going to finish now with our spotlight currency for the week, as voted for by our followers on LinkedIn, who have this week chosen the Swiss franc. That's, the franc has continued to trade roughly in line with our expectations in the past few months, trading mostly within the sort of 107, 109 range versus the euro since the start of the third quarter of the year. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the franc has benefited from heightened safe haven flows of late with investors 
buying low-risk currencies amid fears that the spread of the Delta variant could weigh uh, on global growth. On the other, though, the Swiss National Bank remains one of the more dovish in the G10 and looks likely to continue intervening in the market in order to prevent a meaningful appreciation in the franc. Uh, but how do you both see the franc performing over the longer term? And is the franc, uh, is it a buy, sell or a hold opportunity in your view? I mean, my view is that the Swiss franc continues to be overvalued on a historical basis. Um, the fact that the Swiss National Bank agrees with me makes me very comfortable in holding this opinion because uh, the Swiss National Bank uh, can actually enforce this opinion and has been doing so over the years with massive sales, sales of the local currency. So um, I think that the uh, risk appetite and risk tolerance generally worldwide will continue to improve over the next few months. So I'm very happy to be on the same side as the Swiss National Bank and say that the Swiss franc is a sell against the euro, at least. Yeah, so I would agree that the Swiss franc uh, is a, a sell. Uh, I think that there are two main factors that are uh, f- basically at play when it comes to the franc right now, uh, particularly in 2021. Uh, the one is the uh, behavior of the uh, yields uh, on the US uh, bonds. We have seen that the franc has been reacting heavily to the shifts in the yields. And as uh, they are at a, a very low levels uh, currently, and uh, I would expect that the uh, that they would come up uh, in the next months and quarters, uh, this is a negative for the franc. Uh, and also, as we expect the pandemic uh, sentiment to improve, uh, I think that it adds, uh, it should add further pressure on the Swiss currency. Also, I think that the sentiment uh, regarding traders is uh, changing uh, significantly, as we can see uh, looking at the uh, commitment of traders uh, data from the CFTC. Uh, right now, the net longs uh, for the franc are at the lowest uh, level uh, since uh, late uh, May. So generally, this makes, makes me quite confident that the path for the franc uh, is to come down, uh, particularly against the uh, euro. But overall, I think that this is said to be one of the uh, weaker currencies uh, if the yields uh, will go up uh, worldwide, but particularly the U.S., and if uh, we are going to see improvements in pandemic sentiment. Yes, yeah, so two cells from you both. Are, I, I think I would ordinarily um, have a rather neutral view on the franc. On the one hand, the currency tends to benefit during periods of uncertainty, due to its safe haven status, while on the other, the Swiss National Bank continues to remain opposed to materially stronger franc and has continued to, its attempts to both verbally talk down the currency and intervene uh, directly in the market. Um, but I think we're all generally of the view that concerns surrounding the spread of the Delta variant are perhaps slightly overblown. The economic disruption so far has been relatively minimal. Um, uh, and I would still hold a positive view on risk sentiment over our forecast horizon. Um, I think that once developing nations in particular roll out the vaccines to a greater share of their populations, that's when I think we should start seeing a more material rebound in risk appetite. Good news for the high-risk emerging market or high-risk currencies, uh, and negative for the safe havens, um, including the franc. And so, for me, I, I would say that the franc is also a sell opportunity. Yeah, and also I would add that uh, the franc, for a better part of the year, has been the 
preferred uh, safe haven uh, compared to the Japanese yen. And I think that this relationship is already starting to change and is likely going to uh, change further. As, uh, I think that the Japanese yen uh, relative to the franc uh, could be oversold right now. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ibri's website, follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.